are you today? Is it Sai? Sai? How do you pronounce your name, please? Yeah, my name is Sai. Sai. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you, Sai. Nice to meet you too. Uh, firstly, I want to thank you for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. I think it's an exciting concept, and you get to meet so many people all over the world. And uh, you're one of uh, the great people among those. <laughs> so, what would you like to know? <laughs> so, I thought to tell uh, about your work to my audience. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, um, I'm an author. And I have five books now published, um, and they're mainly um, suspense novels of international interest. So one is set in India, actually. It's called Rivers Run Back, and it's a combination of a, um, a family saga and a thriller. Uh, and my latest book is set in Spain. Uh, it's called Zahara and the Lost Books of Light, and it's based on the idea uh, that in 1498, when the Inquisition burned all these books, um, that some of them were saved and hidden away in Spain. And the protagonist of my book goes to Spain and she finds these books and the librarians who are protecting them. Okay, so you're, you're a writer since? Uh... Yeah, I've been a writer for my whole life. I grew up in the Southeast Bronx, um, but I live now in Seattle. And um, I started out writing songs, actually. I went to the high school of music and art. And for a long time, I was an itinerant musician. I would play on the streets and make pay my rent uh, by playing in Central Park. Uh, and then gradually, I became more uh, enamored of words. And I started to write poems and then short stories and now novels. So I have been writing for my whole life. So you know how to create impact uh, using the vocabulary that is there in your collection? Using my vocabulary? I mean, uh, you know how to create impact in the people who are reading your books uh, with, the, with the collection of words that you have. Yeah, I'm always expanding my vocabulary, that's for sure, because uh, as I create different characters, they talk differently, and I need to train my ear to hear how... Um, the dialogue would go, um, and someone in India is going to speak differently than someone in Spain. So it takes an ear uh, to be a writer, and you're constantly learning. It's not as if you know everything. I think for me, you know, they say, write about what you know. And in my case, I usually write about what I want to know, what I want to learn about. And I've met incredible people uh, in the course of my writing career as I do research on my books. Like when I went to Spain, uh, I met a wonderful high school teacher who told me um, that he was not allowed to teach about the Inquisition in Spain uh, in school um, and about some of the changes that have happened there since they have more of a democracy. And uh, I tried to weave that into my book. So if I meet you, you may end up being in one of my books. What is Inquisition? The Spanish Inquisition was run by the Catholic Church, and um, they they burned people at the stake, they burned books, they wanted everybody to be a good Catholic, and if you weren't, if you were a Jew or a Muslim or anything else, um, they forced you to convert. And it was really a terrible time in history, but there were also very brave people who resisted the Inquisition. And, you know, just like today, there are some governments that are oppressive and people are brave in resisting them. So I have always been interested in people that um, have stood up to power uh, and asserted themselves. And I think that's influenced my writing. Uh, is that your first book? No, I have five books published now. This was my fourth, uh, Zahara and the Lost Books of Light. Would you like to see the cover? Yeah. Okay. Let's see if this is. There we go. Zahara. Yeah. So that you can see the light at the top of the stairs there kind of symbolizes moving towards the light. Zahara, which means light in Hebrew and in Arabic. So it's it's really about moving towards the light 
by uncovering uh, our history and, and books uh, that were burned in the Middle Ages. And then I have another book that's coming out uh, that's called Sandstorm. That's a coming of age novel. That's quite different. It's much more personal. Um, and it's about a young girl who loses her family um, and is basically abandoned and how she creates a family for herself um, from her friends. And, uh, but there's also a lot of crime involved and she falls in with the wrong people and she learns you know, to make better decisions, but that takes her quite a while. So that's, that's an adventure, a coming of age adventure story. So you're born in Spain. I was born in, in New York City. Okay. Um, although there were a lot of Puerto Ricans in my neighborhood, so Spanish was spoken in my neighborhood when I was little. Um, so I learned a bit of it. And um, I grew up in the Bronx, and I went to high school in Manhattan uh, at the High School of Music and Art. So that's where I learned to sing and uh, where I learned that there was more to life than people fighting on the streets. You know, I became more of an artist and uh, met many people who were kinder and gentler uh, in the arts. And I think that's kind of saved my life actually. And from New York, I moved to the West Coast to California and then eventually up here to Seattle. So I've lived a lot of places um, in this country and I love Seattle, it's just, really friendly town, beautiful lakes, and a uh, very green and friendly place. Maybe you'll come visit sometime. And I also lived in Los Angeles for a while, which is a huge city where you drive everywhere. And uh, I like Seattle because it's a good place to walk and I really like walking and hiking around. So you said uh, most of your life is filled with uh, your writings. Yeah, I spend most of my time writing, um, some of it hiking, you know, getting out into nature. And I love gardening. I've just put in my tomatoes and squash and uh, peas. So um, when I'm not writing, I try to get out in the garden and touch the soil, you know, because when you live in your mind so much, you need to do some physical things. Um, and then, of course, I meet my readers and also people who, um, when I'm researching, I get a lot of help from people uh, in doing research, especially when you write historical fiction. Uh, for instance, uh, I met um, online, I met a librarian uh, scholar uh, who knew about all the books that were burned during the Inquisition and he helped me you know, in my writing. Uh, so even though it seems like a book is a product of one person, it's very often the product of many people working together um, that help the writer with their research, um, that edit the book and help us improve our language skills because there's always room you know, to be better. Uh, even with five books published, I still feel that I'm you know, trying to perfect my language skills and just to communicate better. So how did, can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how you came up with this idea uh, to do these interviews. So I'm like you, I wanted to communicate uh, with the human beings on this planet uh, using the vocabulary that I have, but uh, you decided to use your hand, I decided to use my vocal cord. <laughs> yeah, I used to sing, so I kind of understand using the vocal cords too, yeah. Can you sing? So even, excuse me? Can you sing? Can I sing? Yeah. yeah, you mean like right now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I sing. I can sing a song that um, that is related to my book uh, because it's in the language of Ladino, which is a mixture of Hebrew and Spanish, and was sung in Spain. It was kind of in a secret language when the Jews were hiding from the Inquisition. It's called Cuando Reinimrad, and I'll just sing a little bit of it. And it's about the birth of Abraham. Uh, who is the patriarch, you know, of Muslims, Jews, and Christians. And so those three religions really come from the same roots. And that's kind of the point of the song is to get along better uh, because we come from the same root. So it goes a little like this. Cuando campo salía, miraba en el cielo y en la estrella. 
Abraham vino, Padre querido, Padre bendito, Luz de Israel. Wow. So that's a little singing. <laughs> you have a good voice. Oh, thank you. I love to sing. And I was in a world music ensemble for many years um, until we're not performing lately because of the pandemic, you know, but we will start again. And we sang in 21 different languages, music from all over the world. And our mission in Abrace was the name of the group, which means embrace in Portuguese. And so we embraced the music of the world and all our members were from different places. And uh, we sang in many different languages. Um, and I think the closest to your home would be uh, the Bang Bengali song that we learned uh, about the honeybee, Radha and the honeybee. <laughs> Which, Sri Krishna ve I love that melody. It's just so beautiful, you know, the microtones. And we sang in Spanish, you know, Uruguayan, uh, songs from Argentina, from Italy, from just pretty much everywhere. This music, you know, so you're saying you use your vocal cords to reach out to people. I really relate to that. I, it's beautiful. So I'm understanding that you are, uh, uh, you are the good communicator. You communicate with people, uh, uh, you know, you, I think you can communicate with everybody. I try. I think, you know, after a while, um, I was very shy and uh, as a child because, like I say, I grew up in a really violent neighborhood and, you know, you had to sort of sneak around, you know, to, to protect yourself. But once I became a musician and I discovered there were these people who wanted to communicate through music and words uh, and through their instruments, um, I started to come out of my shell. So it was a very long process, but I'm pretty much out of my shell now <laughs> and uh, happy to communicate with people, you know, in any way that I can. And I really believe like in what you're doing, because when we talk to each other, and learn about each other, then um, we lose the misconceptions that we have, you know, because many of us see, you know, through the news or other sources, they're all distorted, you know, and when we meet in person, we get to understand people and what their problems are and what their joys and happinesses are. And it just becomes an entirely different life that you're living, you know, when you open. So every day you're meeting new people, yeah. What are some of the favorite people that you've met? You. <laughs> well, of course, you're going to say that. But are there others? I mean, there must be uh, some of uh, the types of people that you just were really thrilled to meet. I think every person is unique. I believe that every person have their own style on this planet. You know, mm. they, their own way of telling uh, uh, and explaining and expressing things. So I can't just tell one person's name and can't put other people down. So I believe uh, that everybody is equal. Everybody have their own uh, uh, structure of framing uh, sentences and uh, uh, framing, uh, uh, you know, their, their own uh, uh, thought process and all. So I can't tell that. But... Uh, and we, we like different things in different people. Now I, I, I connected with you. I'm listening to you. What I understood is, why can't I talk like you? Is my the first question that is coming in my mind right now. Like you are. Well, I think the more you practice, uh, then the better you get at it. And so you are, you know, but in your interviews, um, the people that you interviewed do most of the talking. So that's why I'm trying to get you to come out a little bit and talk to me because I, you know, as a writer, I, I'm curious. I'm always asking people questions, you know, about where they come from and, you know, what their thoughts are. So I think you've expressed yourself very well, but you do it in terms of questions. You know, you come up with questions. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a real gift to be able to interview people. And, uh, you know, sometimes... 
um, we, we get so caught up in talking about ourselves that we don't really listen, you know, to what other people have to say. And that's something all of us work on, you know, just becoming receptive. Even to nature, you know, I try to listen to the birds out in my backyard and, and uh, become receptive to them because there's a whole life that goes on outside of humans, you know, in, in the natural world that um, maybe, I don't know, I, I take photographs sometimes, but uh, to write about the natural world is something I would love to be able to do someday. And uh, But there you have to express what can't be expressed because you know, it's a different language, the, the language of the birds and the bees. And uh, so there's a lot as a writer that you realize that you don't know, you know, and then that you explore. So what, um, what else would you like to know about the writing life? So uh, you wrote uh, the historical uh, fiction. So why not other genres? Well, historical fiction was, um, this This was my first book. Zahara was my first attempt at historical, I call it historical fantasy because it has a little bit of alternative history in it. But before that, I wrote mysteries and I wrote uh, about a private detective who lived in New York City where I grew up and uh, took on these really difficult cases. And uh, she even traveled to Russia to try to solve one of the cases. Uh, so these were murder investigations. And so those are very kind of gritty books <clears throat> that are set in urban settings and um, in the present. And so um, for some reason, I decided to, to switch genres and to write a historical novel um, because I just got very interested in how people got along in, in different centuries, you know, in the past, uh, how humans, human beings related to each other in a different way than we do now. And uh, for, for instance, in medieval Spain, there was this thing called the convivencia. And these were Christian and Jewish and Muslim writers who all wrote poetry together and they would compete to see who was the best poets. And, you know, it was like a really beautiful sort of golden age and in medieval, early medieval Spain. And I thought, you know, nowadays there's all these divisions that, that are between people. And so I wanted to explore a time when people did get along uh, and, and to sort of bring that to the forefront. So I just ended up traveling to the past and the protagonist in my book, her name is Alianor. Uh, I gave her a gift and uh, her gift is that she could see through the eyes of her female ancestors, that she could actually travel back in time and experience life, you know, just the way that they experienced it. And so that as a writer, it just gave me um, a big palette that I could work with then that was much bigger than my own experience. And I had to just sort of trust and start to see through her eyes when she would go back. Um, and she had like one ancestor who was a Morisca uh, who lived in Andalusia in Spain uh, and who was a bandit and would steal from the soldiers that, was, that were um, patrolling. And uh, so I had a chance to like really invent some people who I wished existed. And then I would read and discover that they did. You know, sometimes your imagination is rooted in a reality that you don't even know about yet. And when you start writing, it's just like, um, maybe you have a car that you're in and it's a blue car and all of a sudden you start seeing all the different blue cars that are on the road. So like when you write, sometimes you come up with a character and you start meeting people that are much like that character um, all around. And so that opens up your life quite a bit. So when people say that writers are sort of lonely, isolated people, it's not really true because we, most of us, uh, we're reaching in, just trying to reach into the psychology of different people and uh, to understand them better. And so we have to come out of ourselves in order to do that. So I hope that makes sense. It just sort of came out. <laughs> so you're saying that uh, uh, writers are just sitting and not uh trying to be more connected with the people and uh, being in their own zone, trying to 
understand by going into other people's shoes. Yeah, exactly. So we do need to come out to do that in different ways, you know. So we bring all that back with us um, and put it into the computer or the notebook. But um, it requires also allowing yourself to experience life as well and, and then distill it. You know, it's like making wine. You distill it down, all the experiences that you have. So my detective in New York, she was sort of a blend of myself and my brother, for instance, my brother was a private detective himself. And so when, but he was older than me. And so when I was a kid, I used to want to go out on his cases, you know, when he would be on surveillance and, and watching somebody, you know, from his car. And I would say, take me with you, you know, on your surveillance. And he'd say, no, kid, I can't take you with me, you know, and it's dangerous. So I learned a lot from my brother, you know, about the private detective life. And then I was into writing poetry at that time you know, when I was younger. So when I created Joe Epstein, she's um, the detective in my stories, I made her a poet and a private investigator. So her day job was, you know, having clients and solving cases, but then she would also go write poems and recite them at the slam. You know what a poetry slam is? Where, you know, people, you know, um, they compete, they get up and they compete to see who can recite a poem in three minutes that's like the best poem and then people in the audience vote and it's kind of a crazy like and they call it the slam so joe epstein was a slam poet and also a private investigator and so there's an example you know of how you can create out of your own life and in this case my brother's life and other people i met i met a lot of poets i started going out to the slam and i competed in the slam even though i'm not like a professional performance artist, I wanted to know what it was like. So they had the slam in this bar in Seattle and I would go there once a week and compete in the slam. And one time I got to like the second round, <laughs> I did pretty well, um, but I learned mostly I was there to learn. And the host, she was really a great host. And uh, I thought I kind of modeled my detective on her. You know, I thought she could be both a private detective and a poet. This is a person, you know, that has that ability. So that's kind of an example of how you can make a character uh, from many different elements. And then when once you start writing, they come alive too and they change, you know, as they live on the page. So writing, how it affected your life? Well, I think it, it gave me a sense of purpose. Uh, um, and music as well when I would perform um, that for me, I've always felt I needed something um, that was a little bigger than myself to be a part of. I think many of us feel that way in a positive sense. And so with music, there was a community of musicians um, and I still that I still belong to and communicate with. And I do know a lot of writers as well. Um, and we support each other in what we do so that it's not such an isolated existence. And it's kind of interesting, you know, since the pandemic, people have been using Zoom a lot or Skype. And um, in a way, it has deepened certain relationships because you have to reach out and make an appointment and you come and you talk like I'm talking with you. And I do that with my writer friends I'm in a little group of historical writers, for instance, and we get together and we talk about our latest book and what we're doing. Maybe we'll read a little bit of it. We'll talk about what books we're reading. And sometimes, like, I got a lot of help with research. I'm working on a new book that's going to be set during World War II in the Mediterranean. And um, one of the people that belongs to that group knows a lot about that. And she is very generous and saying, oh, I can help you with your research. So I think there's a lot of reaching out that's going on during the pandemic. Uh, and maybe before we wouldn't have thought so much about doing that. Um, so I guess it's like, you know, the silver lining uh, in the cloud that uh, literally in the cloud, because that's what we call this type of computing and Zooming is, you know, meeting in the cloud. So all of us are meeting in the clouds. I mean, imagine that if you lived a few hundred years ago and people and someone told you that someday people would be meeting in the cloud <laughs> and you would go, what? <laughs> so the things that we take for granted are so amazing. I mean, 
that our voice, like you and I, our pictures and our, our words are being bounced off a satellite, you know, and then coming back to us. Um, that's what, you know, thousands of miles up in the air. So sometimes I think about that, just talking on my cell phone, you know, we're actually, how we're connected technologically is magical. Although we just have started to take it for granted. It's like science fiction, isn't it? So you imagine a lot, right? I imagine a lot. Yeah, because uh, you're a writer, I'm sure uh, your thinking will be somewhere else uh, than present. Yeah, my husband says I get this look in my eyes <laughs> when I'm someplace else, you know, when I go into my imagination. And uh, I think that came with childhood. I mean, we all have different types of childhoods. Um, and in my case, um, the library in our neighborhood was the safest place to be. So I spent a lot of time in the library and uh, discovered many, many other uh, realities existed, you know, through books. And, uh, and for me, that uh, I think is one of the reasons I became a writer eventually was because I was just such a passionate reader. And for many years, I just devoured books um, and realized that this was what a gift this is, that we have literature. I mean, we take it for granted, just like we take technology for granted. But books, you know, were invented a very long time ago. And before books, there were storytellers that would sit around the fire and tell legends, you know. So they really brought people together as you know, storytellers have a certain power. And uh, I always wanted to, to be a storyteller and I was a little shy. So writing is easier than, you know, coming out and talking to people. But gradually I also, I started doing some storytelling with my music and writing myths that I would tell and just um, trying to find stories that connect with people. Um, that's for me. And people have all, all different motivations for writing. I mean, it's not as if I, um, you know, and, I, and I, like you say, we're all unique. So my unique gift is that um, I really like to use writing to connect with people and uh, to build that into my life. And uh, as a result of having been a very, very shy child, I think we all want to become what we what we could grow into, you know, rather uh, and not accept those limitations. So, so what do you say about uh, the, the, the present uh, reality that you are observing? Because this technology, these devices, are, this network, uh, all these mediums are connecting human beings. So as a person, you are trying to, uh, as a human being, you are trying to connect with the human beings with the, uh, with the communication medium called language and the word uh, which, uh, in which the words and the sentences are there. Right. What do you say about the reality, the technology and the devices which are connecting you and me right now? I think it's a gift uh, and it depends on how we use it. So it can be an addiction, you know, so where people like are on their phone to the point where they walk in the road and get hit by a car. I mean, they're just like completely, you know, pulled into this virtual world and playing games. Um, and so sometimes it can make people antisocial. That's the negative side of it, I think. And that perhaps I thought that maybe people would read less, but that's not true. People are reading a lot, but they're reading on their phones. Like in Japan, they write novels, you know, on the phone. <laughs> and this started maybe 10 years ago. They've been doing it for a long time. So uh, I think there's a real positivity about technology. And also it's something that we almost need to keep up with, you know, because I'm a little bit older and younger people have had this since they were babies. You know, I had to sort of get used to it. Um, but for some people, they just grow up with it and, and take it for granted. And I do worry sometimes it's like to create something um, you need to put the energy in and um, not be just totally a consumer, 
of technology, but also a creator of things that are then, like what you're doing is very creative. It's a really wonderful creative use of technology. It's very personal. And I think it kind of transcends the technology itself. You know, it just becomes an experience. And I think that's what people really want is experience rather than just a screen that they're watching all the time. And so I like paper books, you know, it's, it's just, you just hold it in your hand, you know, and I really love it when people, you know, tell me that they've read my, the paper version of my book, but there's also e-versions, e you know, on the Kindle and other platforms and people read digitally. And that's really good. I think that's increased the number of young readers that we have e-readers now. So there's all different ways to, you can carry a book in your pocket because it's on your phone. <laughs> Now you can actually you could have a hundred books in your pocket because they're on your phone. And so it really gives people access. Uh, and then it just depends on the choices they make about what they're going to read, uh, you know, what they're interested in. And for me, um, sometimes they need guidance with that. And that's, you know, what what school is about and uh, that uh, people still value education, that they value learning for learning's sake rather than just as a way of being trained to make money. So um, I was lucky in that my mother was a lifelong learner. When she was older, she started painting. You know, she would always be trying something new. Uh, so to me, that's what writing is about, is always, you know, trying out something new. And then with technology, I did a book launch that uh, one of the book launches uh, for Zahara was held in India. And um, there were a whole bunch of poets that came and they wrote uh, work that was around the theme of the book about the convivencia, about getting along. So it was called From Dystopia to Utopia. And the idea of, you know, how can we change the world just through our poetry and writing and words. And I think there were eight poets that participated in this and it was all done through Zoom. And it was on India time. It was like 8.30 at night there. And it was early in the morning here in Seattle. And then there were people on the East Coast and we all came together um, and people recited poetry, played music. We even played music on Zoom uh, with a tabla player and a saxophone player at the same time. You know, it's hard to sync things up, you know, um, when you're on Zoom and have the music work together, but it was like magic. It was beautiful. And so that was multicultural music. It was saxophone and tabla, you know, and uh, Western and East meets West. And so that was really exciting for me because I like being. Um, sort of on the border where different cultures meet and, and what they exchange. It's very exciting to me to see that happen, which is why I was, you know, excited to come and talk with you. So what is the greatest thing that you did in your life uh, that you cannot forget? Oh, my goodness. Um, I did a concert with some friends uh, here in Seattle and it was called World Music and Dance of Peace. And so, you know, we're talking about different cultures working together. Um, we had an Egyptian tabla player and Brazilian singers and the whole event was music devoted to, to peace and all the different songs. Uh, and it was really well attended and it was had just this beautiful spirit to it. So, and in some ways it was just a life-changing experience to rehearse with these people and learn from them and just be like a part, you know, I sang my part. Um, but in this singing group um, of seven singers, when we blend our voices together, it was just a heavenly experience. So I think that my musical experiences have been, you're talking about like peak experiences uh, for me um, it's a, it's like you lose yourself and you become part of this beauty that you're all creating together. And to me, there's no better thing that can happen. <laughs> so what, what is, what is your driving force? What makes you to wake up in the morning and do stuff? Well, my family, um, you know, just knowing that they're okay. My son lives with us here and um, my husband. I think um, just our life together, just uh, the ordinary things in life, I think, are what drive us, uh, not so much the grand schemes. I mean, it's great to have grand schemes, but to have a solid family life is really important to me um, and, you know, to be useful in that way. Um, 
And then there's when I'm really working on a book, the story will come to me. Sometimes in a dream, I'll have an idea or a character will come. Uh, and I get very excited about getting to work um, on my latest book or, you know, if I'm writing a song or whatever it is. Um, so having something creative that I'm involved in doing um, and having the strength of family um, at the same time. Uh, I think those are the two driving things in my life. So as a keen thinker and a deep observer, uh, what do you think the, the, the meaning of the life, the purpose of the life? The purpose of life? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I think we're here to learn. It's obvious that we make a lot of mistakes. And um, so, and we have, I believe that we have free will. I don't think that everything is pre-written and determined in advance. And so I think we're on this planet. And I, I remember as a child wondering about that, you know, why am I here? You know, what, what is, people are so busy and doing things, but, you know, at the core of it, you know, what is it? And, you know, I think that it is that we're evolving um, into another level of consciousness uh, as a species. And, but it's taking us a very, very long time to do that. And uh, I think that someday people will be able to just read each other's minds and be much closer, you know, in the way that they communicate um, and have more compassion and empathy instead of fighting with each other. But there is this uh, trial by error. We seem to be the kind of species that we have to just try everything um, and make all these mistakes before we start to learn from them. So I guess I do believe that life is a learning experience and an experience of growth. And each of us, each individual, like you say, everyone is unique. We have our own unique things that we are learning and that they somehow connect us as well with other human beings that are on a similar path um, and that there is that there is a light that we become part of you know and when we die that we do move into this uh, this realm that Rumi talks about of light you know the caged bird is free <laughs> the soul becomes free uh, and if we do believe in a soul then I think it does help us to live our lives too and gives us some strength because people right now uh, are living through such difficult times in so many ways. And not only the pandemic, but the poverty and um, war and uh, all of these things that are going on to try to put them in a perspective, you know, that maybe we're learning from them. I guess maybe it's naive, but I try to believe that we are learning from our mistakes. So that's a complicated answer to a simple question, but I did my best. <laughs> So, what is life after, uh, uh, you know, after coronavirus affecting human being after death? I think, gosh, it, it's something that it's just too big to think about even. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of it, that the universe is so large uh, and the spiritual plane is so large, we can't, like, our brains are not big enough, you know, to, like, comprehend unless there's a few, you know, great spiritual leaders who maybe have uh, had these experiences, but I'm not one of them. I'm just like an ordinary person. But I do feel that there's something there uh, that's bigger than we are, that we connect with. Uh, and we can do that, I think, when we're alive, too. It's not like um, you have to leave your body to do this. But it is sort of beyond the physical, and that's why they call it the metaphysical, I guess. Um, and it is important. Um, like my parents were atheists. They believed that there was nothing, that there was no spiritual value to life. And um, so beautiful as they were, you know, um, they scared me as a child. They frightened me because they told me that life had no meaning. And so maybe that's why I've spent my whole life looking for some meaning, you know. So it's a gift, sometimes a negative, the absence, you know. So instead of being raised in a particular religion and then you just say, okay, well, that's how things are, 
I had to start looking for meaning for myself because I was coming from a place where there was where meaning was being denied. And so, um, but atheism, it's in sort of, it can be a religion, you know, where you say there's no God and that's your religion, right? Or it can be agnosticism, which is, I don't know. And I think that's a difficult thing for people just to say, I don't know. But it's the place you have to start at in order to learn anything is to admit that you don't know. And yet we live in many in many of our ways that we interact in our society, you know, we send young people to school and they're supposed to learn stuff and accomplish things, um, but they're not supposed to admit their ignorance. They're supposed to come out and, you know, know everything. But the truth is that admitting your ignorance is probably the very, is a very wise thing to do. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I understood. So, you said that uh, there, there, there is a force which is uh, uh, which is greater than us, and uh, and I know uh, there are people who claim that uh, they communicate with that. Have you communicated with that great force? I think it's part of all of us. I, I wouldn't claim to have communicated with it. I, I just think that um, that that life force is inside of each person and every baby, you know. And it's inside of a murderer, it's inside of a writer, it's inside of an angel, it's inside of a devil, it's inside of everything. So um, in that sense, yes, uh, because I can feel, I think we feel the life force. But to try to define it, I don't think it can be defined in human terms, because I think it's way, way bigger. And I think it includes rocks and, and trees. Uh, and forests and oceans, as well as people and dolphins and bears. And, you know, it, it includes all of us. And that's one of the things that humanity is learning is that we are dependent. Uh, we're part of this ecology, that we're not separate. We're not better than the other animals, you know, just because we happen to think a little bit and we wear clothes and they don't wear clothes, right? <laughs> the animals, but they're self-sufficient, right? They don't need clothes. So they're different than us, but we're a little bit afraid of them, I think. I think there's a certain fear of nature that has driven human civilization and that we need to get over our fear and to accept nature and accept being part of nature and that then our planet will not suffer so much, which is like a whole other, you know, discussion. But it, it to me... Um, when I say that life is a learning experience, I think maybe that's why we're on this planet is to learn to really appreciate it rather than, you know, like some people say that all of nature is a resource that we use, you know, so we take the fossil fuels out of the ground, we take the trees and we build things from them. And that's fine, but there needs to be some limits to it so that what is natural can exist, you know, in its wild and beautiful form. Um, so I think if there is God, that's what I see is is in nature, in the wild and wild and beautiful. That that's where uh, the most sublime things are. So that's the other I think peak experiences for me has been being out in nature and just feeling its purity and you know being away from civilization sometimes. What do you think that? Uh, what do you think and what do you believe that you know and what do you think that what you believe that you don't know? Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know the future. Um, I don't know where we're headed as a species. And as, a, as an individual person, every day, I don't really know what's going to happen when I wake up. I mean, I think I might know. But we make plans and then other things happen. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to the biggest problems that we have. I'm not a scientist. Like sometimes I wish I was. I think this is a great time to be a medical researcher, for instance, because, you know, they're inventing vaccines. They're really doing things to help people. Um, so there's so much that I don't know that I would like to know if, if, if to, that would make me more useful in the world. And uh, it's great that I can write, but I see uh, doctors and scientists um, and ecologists and people who can figure out um, how to how to keep the world balanced in some way, you know, 
and uh, with solar energy instead of fossil fuels, for instance. So I think there are many, many people that are using knowledge in wonderful ways um, to try to make the world better. And so I don't know um, how to do that, but I can appreciate them. So in the middle, you said that uh, it is not, we are not just here to just consume uh, the resources. We have to give something uh, in return uh, if you are using technology. Uh, so uh, from uh, you are into different things in your life and uh, you did a lot of, uh, you contributed uh, a lot of energy of yours to this world, right? So are you, are you, are you satisfied with the energy that you have contributed? Are you still feeling that I didn't give? I think there's a lot more that I could give. And um, I think that the pandemic, you know, because it drove many of us uh, into isolation more, has made me realize and value other people and my contact with them. And I sort of can't wait, you know, so I can get out again um, and maybe sing for people in person rather than on Zoom. Um, so, yes, I think this is a lot more that I, I feel that I could do. Um, and environmentally, um, I mean, we can't do everything because you would just be like totally overwhelmed. But I do feel um, that that maybe there's another book in me that uh, that has to do with some of the things that you and I are talking about. Um, so it's been very stimulating for me um, because you don't talk a lot, but then when you ask a question, it's like very pointed. <laughs> so you really got me thinking about this. So I'm not going to give you a strong answer because I don't know. But uh, I do feel there is more that I could give. So what do you believe that is working for you? That is working for me? Um, I think that my storytelling skills are getting better. Uh, and but that I need more to be out more and experiencing more to bring back into my writing. I'm kind of at that point. Um, like I was saying, when the pandemic is over for me, you know, it means getting out more and um, absorbing, uh, learning from other people more, because uh, sometimes uh, the writer's life can be fairly isolated in spite of all the things that I've said, it's still uh, with Zoom and technology, uh, there is a certain isolation that happens. But I think what I have working for me is that I'm very stubborn and persevering too when I decide, you know, that I want to get out. Um, you know, I traveled to India, I was there three or four times and just learned such an incredible amount and made friends that I still talk to almost every day. And I also traveled to Spain. I love traveling uh, as a way of informing my writing and opening up my heart and, uh, you know, really experiencing other cultures too. So th that I think is one of my curiosity is probably the best thing that I have working for me. So at last, uh, do you have anything to say about uh, the work that you do about your books and uh... Well, all of them are available. You know, if you just like, it's Joyce Yarrow. If you were to Google my name or go to Amazon, uh, one could find my books. And I'm hoping to, I may reach a few new readers, you know, as a result of our talk. Um, and I love hearing from readers. If you want to befriend me on Facebook or something, I'm pretty open and um, just love to chat with people about writing. Um, so that's, uh, you know, hoping that maybe some people will reach out uh, that I haven't met before because I love meeting new people. And I think that my writer's life has in, in an ironic way, even though it's isolated, has also opened up, you know, uh, me to many, many people. And that's another thing that technology has given us um, if we use it carefully, you know, that ability to touch many other lives and have them touch us. I'll, I'll put uh, your book uh, links in the description of this video. People who find our video on YouTube, they'll, they'll find your links. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. So. Yeah. And at last, uh, have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube and what do you say about it? I've seen a couple and I really like them. Um, you interviewed a writer 
I'm trying to remember where she was from. Um, but the um, I like the variety of people that that you'll interview someone. I think there was someone that worked in the oil fields or in in the, in the fossil fuel industry, and then you were talking with a writer, and you have a um, a reach. I, I was wondering how you find these people and decide to interview them. Everything is in front of us. Consuming is very easy. Then ah. giving back. <laughs> it's easy to find people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what well, do you I, say? I love what you do, and I think um, that I hope that you continue, and I'm going to continue to watch your show, and I learn from people and what they share. It's really quite interesting. And uh, at last, uh, words about our conversation in this video. I've really enjoyed it, and um, I hope I get to talk to you again, not necessarily as a formal interview, but I would love to stay in touch. So, yeah, I want you to keep doing what you love and uh, create more energy and contribute more energy and uh, uh, improve the skills that you have already and uh, do great things and uh, be so nice to uh, a lot of people like you did now. Well, thank you so much for having me on, on your show. I've just really been a great experience, and I wish you well with all of your interviews and your life, and I'm very happy that we met, Sai. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your valuable time and uh, spending your valuable words, uh, not in <laughs> your book, but in this video. That's my pleasure. Okay, will you take care then? Yeah. Can I put this video and audio clip on my YouTube channel and social media and internet podcast everywhere with your permission? Sure. Let's live dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Keep smiling. And, uh, you too. You're so you're very nice. Thank you. Same yeah. to you. It was great yeah. talking with you. Till Me later too. then. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.